week 26 uh, we're in in the book of Mark. We took two weeks and we took a little breather from the book of Mark. Um, I preached two weeks ago and then last week we had uh, Michael Dunlop and Jessica and Jack and Amelia with us. They sent, if you go on the Facebook family group, they sent us a thank you card and so I've typed out what they said in there. I want to thank all of you. Um, the main thing that I just loved, and I forget their exact wording, um, but one of the things they mentioned was that we were genuinely excited as a church for what God was doing in their lives in reaching France. And they said that was worth it to them. And so I want to thank you. Those who gave um, the Churchill's Connect Group who went out and bought items for their kids. I think he said Jack has slept with whoever bought Spider-Man uh, for Jack, uh, was uh, they, that was the best. So whoever did that, I don't know who did it, but whoever did it, you, you made that kid's day. But I want to thank you for your hospitality, guys, and I mean that. I don't get a chance, because we're only here on Sunday mornings, I don't get a chance to kind of lead us and teach us through some of this, but listen, these families who are willing to uproot and take themselves and their children across the world for the specific reason of spreading the gospel, those are the people that we want to highlight those are the people we want, that we want to spoil if we're going to spoil anybody. That's who we want to spoil. And um, I want us to always be a church that does that. But we are in week 26 in our Dirt Road series today. I'm going to read the text this, this morning. The title of the sermon is The Glory of Jesus. The Glory of Jesus. I'm going to read the text from Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you don't, please open up maybe an app on your phone, or if not, we have it on the screen for you this morning. But we're going to begin with just reading our text, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read down through the end of verse 13. And technically, I believe the first verse of chapter 9 uh, somewhat coincides with the ending of chapter 8, but nonetheless. He said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I believe that finished up the previous paragraph. By the way, the chapters and verses are not inspired. So that was humans trying to, to, to divide us up, divide it up to make it easy for us to read the Bible. So, verse 2. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. We know Peter, James, and John to be his inner circle. He took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Of course, once again, Peter. He can't just let the moment happen. He can't just be there in the presence. He's the guy in Connect Group that's similar to me. Brent asks a question or leads us in something if no one answers in seven seconds. I'm going to blurt out something. It might not be anything to have to do with anything that we're talking about. That's Peter. Peter says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here and let us make Three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Remember, Peter is influencing Mark to write this. So we believe Peter dictated much of this to Mark. So Peter's like, hey, look, guys, don't judge me here. 
No one else knew what to say either. We're sitting here, it literally says that because he did not know what to say. Peter's like, look, somebody had to say something. There was some, it was pretty incredible. You had Jesus, you had Moses, you had Elijah. Verse seven, and a cloud came and overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the son of man had risen from the dead. Here we go again. Jesus telling three of his disciples, I'm going to rise from the dead. Just keep that in like the way, way back of your head throughout the gospels. How many times Jesus says that? So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Verse 11, and they asked him saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the son of man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come and they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. Sometimes a misunderstood or possibly misused text that we're going through today. May it be clear. May it be powerful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Danny Aiken, local, local guy, says this looks can be deceiving. And never was this more true than when the Son of God left heaven and came to earth. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When the fullness of deity came and made his dwelling in a human body when Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, and came in the likeness of man. This transfiguration of Jesus confirms that despite having the outward appearance of a mere mortal man, Jesus in his nature and essence was God. He was deity merely dressed in a body. We're going to speak today on the transfiguration of Jesus. The title of the sermon is The Glory of Jesus. My goal in this sermon today is not to necessarily leave you with some a list of practical applications at the end. I do that often. I'll teach through the text and I'll come to the end and say, now let me give you five practical applications. Today I'm going to give you some, but that's not the purpose today. The purpose today is for me to take myself into this moment, to try to get a true grasp of what was going on and what the implications were of this moment. Jesus takes his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. According to the Gospel of Luke, uh, he took them up into this mountain to pray. It doesn't say that here in Mark's rendition, but in Luke's Gospel it says that that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to pray. And we know that happens on more than one occasion in the Gospels. In fact, uh, I believe when it happens, typically what do Peter, James, and John do? Does anybody know? They sleep. Okay? Uh, you ever been around somebody to pray so long that you want to fall asleep during a prayer? Don't lie. Uh, but uh, I've been there. Um, but uh, they sleep. But Jesus was taking them apart, aside, to pray. And by the way, there's some practical application there. I believe if Jesus needed a close 
core inner circle of disciples and friends that he could come away with and refresh himself spiritually with. I think every single one of us in this room need a group of close-knit friends that we can relate to on a spiritual level and that we're willing to get apart with and maybe separate ourselves with and pray together. And I believe we all need that. If Jesus modeled that, then certainly you and I would need that. But Jesus takes this inner circle. In fact, some believe that he took this inner circle, obviously knowing what was about to take place. And the Bible has something to say about two or three witnesses. We, we hear that throughout the Bible. If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. We, we hear that. We also hear in, the, in Paul's epistles that you should not hear an accusation against an elder or pastor in a church without two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses seems to be somewhat of a theme in the New Testament. And I believe Jesus here, knowing what was about to happen and knowing what was about to take place, didn't want to just take John, who might be the most emotionally attached to him. He, he didn't want to take Peter, just Peter, the most bombastic. And he didn't uh, want, want to take uh, just James. No, he wanted to take all three of them so that there could be two or three witnesses. So that when, when there needed to be documentation of this, there were more than one person that saw it. And today I want to simply introduce us to the transfigured Christ. Number one, I want us to see this. Look at the glory of Jesus. Look at the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 2. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. I can just imagine Peter going like, what, what, what am I going to say? What, what's going on? Like, let's make some tabernacles. Let's, let's sacrifice to all three of you guys. That sounds good. And I can just imagine and put myself in Peter's shoes here. But transfigured, it says that Jesus was transfigured before them. That word transfigured in its original form, it literally is where we get the word metamorphosis from. If you think about that word in conjunction with transfigured, this is very literally, he was changed before their eyes in his outward appearance okay he was changed before their eyes this transfiguration revealed jesus as the divine god of the universe this was not merely a spiritual experience that took place this was a physical experience legitimately jesus was metamorphosized. He was transformed. He was transfigured into what? He was transformed and, and transfigured into God, into full deity right in front of their eyes. And remember this, this is not, I'm not trying to take you down a theological uh, rabbit trail here, but we understand that Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And those two coincided and they never crossed and they coincided throughout Jesus' life. 
His deity never overstepped his humanity, and his humanity never overstepped his deity. They worked together seamlessly throughout his entire life. But in this moment, his physical human body took on the essence of the deity of God. His physical body took on the form of his father. And if you think about it, these three disciples, they had been experiencing Jesus mostly as a man. We talked about the disciples. I mean, they're, they're finding places to sleep with Jesus. They're finding food with Jesus. They're with Jesus when, when, when the weather's great. They're with Jesus when the weather's difficult. They're with Jesus when he's energetic. They're with Jesus when he needs to rest. They have experienced Jesus mostly in his human form. And every now and then, there would be flashes of deity, right? There would be every now and then he would, he would perform a miracle in front of their eyes. And they would see his deity. They would see his glory in that moment when that blind eye was healed or when that, when that leprosy was gone or when those 5,000 people were fed. They would see glimpses of his glory. They would see glimpses of his deity. But they saw him mostly in his human form. And now they see him transformed fully into deity, into God Almighty and all of his glory right there in front of them. And that word glory is a word that we see throughout scripture and certainly it's a nuanced word that can take on uh, some different meanings depending on the context. But what does the word glory mean to see him in his glory transfigured? And the word glory is somewhat of an undefinable word. The word glory is a word that I believe truly to understand and comprehend the word, we must experience the word. But my best attempt at defining what glory is and what these three men saw in that moment when Jesus was transfigured is this. They saw the spiritual essence of everything God is on display in the physical body of Jesus. Think about it. They saw everything that God is on display in a human body. I don't know how long that lasted. The, the brightness of it, the similar to the Shekinah glory that we hear referenced in Scripture. I don't know how long it lasted, but they experienced the spiritual essence of everything that God was and God is, and they experienced it in the body of Jesus, the human physical body. And that would have been a crazy enough experience. Jesus is up there. Everything just begins turning white. It's bright. You can't even see him. That would be incredible enough. But this experience did not stop there. Moses and Elijah show up. This is thousands of years after they are no longer with us. Moses and Elijah show up. There are obviously many things that we can talk about and the significance of those specific two men. But I will say for our text this morning and for our sermon series that we've been in, Jesus was being identified here as the fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament. You remember this? He was the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You're the promised one. And Moses represented the law. The Mosaic law, the law that was given in the Old Testament. Elijah representing here the prophets and both of those the law and the prophets their purpose were to point people to the coming messiah to the third man there on the mountain that was jesus and certainly there was confusion hey listen if 
if you go up on a mountain with me, and it's us three and Jesus, that's crazy enough, and Jesus transforms and he's shining brightly and you don't even understand what you're seeing, but what you're seeing is the glory of God displayed in his body, and then all of a sudden, two Old Testament men show up. Certainly there was a lot to take in. But this was further confirmation that Jesus was not there to destroy these men, to destroy the law, or to destroy or devalue the prophets, but to fulfill them. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Do not think, Jesus says, that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I want you to listen to this statement in this very complex moment. In this very confusing moment. Peter, James, John going up to pray with Jesus. Jesus transforming. They don't know what's going on with that. Moses and Elijah show up. They definitely don't know what's going on with that. Peter says something random off the top of his head. We know what was going on with that. That was typical Peter. But in this very complex moment, Jesus was declaring his deity. I'm going to put God and spiritual essence on display. He was declaring his deity. He was displaying the spiritual essence of the Father. And he was claiming fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You say, that's a whole lot. That is what was taking place in this one moment. What a moment. What a moment. I'm going to repeat it because I think we need to, to grasp it. Jesus was declaring his deity. I am God. He was displaying the spiritual essence of his father as he transfigures. And then he was claiming fulfillment of the law and the prophets by Elijah and Moses being there and then they're gone. What a moment. This is a deeply theological moment. And I apologize today for it not being four steps to love your spouse better today. All right? This is a deeper theological truth, but it's important. Because Jesus did not come to destroy the law and to, and to uh, devalue or, or displace the prophets. No, he came to fulfill those. He's the prophet, priest, and king. That's him. Oh, this morning that you and that I would somehow see Jesus in his glory. At the end, I'll, I'll tell us that in our human form that we probably won't be able to. But man, I want to. The, the incredible unveiling of Jesus, looking at the glory of Jesus. But secondly, this morning, I want us to see this. Listen to the confirmation of the Father. Where we're at in our text, they have just looked up, and they, looked up and they have seen the three men, not just Jesus there. They have seen the three men. And Peter has just blurted out, it's good for us to be here. Like, there's an incredible thing going on, and Peter's like, man, it's sure good to be here, isn't it? Yeah, Peter, it probably is. I can just picture it. He says, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's where we're at in our text. Verse 7. 
And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with them. This is the second time we've heard a voice from the heavens declare, This is my beloved son. This is the second time in the book of Mark that we've heard this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the second time we have heard from God the Father that this is my son. This is my beloved son. We've heard him confirm now a second time audibly that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. God the Father is pleased with this son, and he confirms that here. Any confusion that Peter, James, and John had, especially Peter, about building a tabernacle to Moses or building a tabernacle to Elijah, God squelches that very quickly when they lift up their eyes after hearing that voice and they don't see Moses anymore. And they can't see Elijah anymore. They can only see Jesus. And this seamless confirmation that seems to happen between Jesus and God is why a verse like John 14, 1 makes very good sense. When John says, let not, or Jesus says, sorry, through the, through the book of John, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That is why that we can sometimes, even in our vernacular, right, we can intermingle and we can switch Jesus and God in, as we talk. Do you want a relationship with God? Do you want a relationship with Jesus? Really what we're saying is the same thing. And we know that because of the teachings that we're learning right now in the book of Mark. Because Jesus is God. And God is Jesus. And by the way, they're both the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is both of them. It's the Trinity. It's an, an, an inexplicable theological concept. But let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Further confirmation from the Father that Jesus is who he said that he was. And by the way, he is who he claimed to be. He still is who he claimed to be. But look at the last. This is encouraging to me. Thirdly and lastly, learn as you walk with Jesus. Learn. We have already established the fact that Peter, James, and John were confused. And we give Peter a hard time and chuckle because he, he says something off the wall. But James and John didn't say nothing. They just sat there in their confusion. Like many of you do during your connect group. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> All the connect group leaders are like, yep, yep, yep. Let's park it right there and talk for a little bit about that. But learn as you walk with Jesus. Look at verse 9 in your text. Look back to your text. Look at verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen. To the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Still learning. I still got questions. What are you talking about? Jesus should have been like, hey, not should have been, but could have said, I just told you like a few verses back 
about me rising from the dead. I'm going to tell you again in a few more verses. But they questioned what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things, be treated with contempt. Listen to this. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Now, if we just took the book of Mark in and of itself, which I'm trying to do in this series, but sometimes because of context, we have to step out and look at the other Gospels a little bit. Because as we said, Mark likes to fly at 30,000 feet sometimes. What was happening here is they were confusing Elijah with John the Baptist. There was a prophecy back in the book of Malachi in the third chapter. But Matthew's rendition in Matthew chapter 17 will help us understand the confusion that was taking place here. The learning, the continual learning that the disciples were doing. Matthew 17 and verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. That's in that same context of like, no, you think it's Elijah because of the way you're reading the book of Malachi. But I say to you that we are referring to John the Baptist. I think it's encouraging to me to know that in these moments that the three people that were the closest to Jesus had some serious questions, had some comprehension issues, and didn't know everything. Aren't you glad? You know why? Because I got some serious issues, comprehension and otherwise. And I got questions, and I don't have the answers. Anybody else familiar with that? Anybody else resonate with that? And to me, it's encouraging to know that in this moment where all of this theological importance was taking place, all of this incredible transfiguration, the metamorphosis was taking place, that Peter, James, and John are like, hey, man, I don't quite get this. What's the deal with Elijah? Hey, what are you talking about again, rising from the dead? I'm not real... And listen, what it speaks to me about this, this morning is that I just need to continue to learn as I walk with Jesus. It speaks to me this morning that I'm not going to come to the place where I arrive in knowing the theological ins and outs of this book. doesn't mean I'm not going to study them. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to try, but it does mean that I understand that this book is, the word is inexhaustible. That you and I could read through it and read through it and read through it and read through it and read through it. And we can read through it again, and then on that next time, we still wouldn't know. I get, in the pastoral world, there's a lot of theological debates. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> there's a lot of theological debates. And there are certain people that believe certain things about certain secondhand doctrines. I don't believe, there's no debate about, about closed-hand doctrines. For, for many people, but on secondary issues, there's a lot of debate of like, what do you believe about this? Do you think that this chapter is speaking to this or is speaking to that? And, and I think it's interesting that like people that are like my age and contemporaries of me that are living in this generation, like they have it figured out now. Like, oh, we have, we have completely whiffed on this for 2,000 years. We fought about it, but now in 2021, we have figured it out. And I know which side to land on and you're wrong and I'm right. It's not the case. At the end of the day, you and I must keep walking with Jesus, and we must keep learning. That's encouraging to me. Jesus, if you'll keep letting me come up on that mountain with you to pray, 
I'll keep soaking it in. Jesus, if you'll keep heading down that dirt road and stopping over to heal that man that you're going to do here in in this chapter, I'll be there to witness it. Hey, Jesus, if 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 you'll let me, I'll keep learning. And I want to encourage every one of us to keep walking with Jesus. I want to encourage you to do this. Keep asking questions. You're in a church that not only does not preach against you asking questions, but encourages you to ask those questions. Truth doesn't fear a question. And I will say this, sincerity doesn't fear a question. Because sometimes I don't know the truth, maybe. But if I'm sincere, you can ask me any question you want to. Sincerity doesn't, doesn't fear questioning. I just want to keep walking. I want to keep asking, and I want to keep learning. I want to keep learning. Jesus, just show me a little bit more. Reveal yourself a little bit more. God, reveal yourself to me. Theology, the study of God, reveal yourself a little bit more to me. I'll keep walking. I'll keep asking. I want to keep learning. These three men experienced something that none of us will ever experience. Jesus displaying himself as God. In all of God's spiritual essence. On display in the body of Jesus. I, guys, think about that, what I just said. I don't even know, I don't even, I can't even comprehend that. That's what happened. And here's what I want us to see in conclusion. And as I mentioned, Justin, you don't even need to, if you, if you put these up to the screen, just leave them. <clears throat> leave them off. In conclusion today, I want us to understand this. The glory of Jesus had been veiled, and it was only unveiled in this split moment here. Think about this this morning. They did not see all his glory because of his flesh. He was 100% man. And so his, his glory was veiled to them throughout his entire life and up until this point. We will not see all of his glory because of our flesh. Because of our flesh. You see, one day, we will see him in all of his glory. But we will not, we will not, I'm sorry today. If you thought that I was going to come and say, listen, if you come back tonight at 530, we are going to experience this tonight. If you thought that, then you're in the wrong church. No, what I'm going to tell you is because of our flesh. No, we're never going to climb up a mountain and pray and see this bright white light and Jesus appear with Moses and Elijah. If you, if you, ever, if, if you ever have that happen, I'm, I'd like to smoke what you're smoking, all right? So if you could pass that, pass that along, all right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really wouldn't, want to po- uh, really wouldn't want to smoke it. But hey, I listen to your story. <laughs> but, uh, but one day, sorry, I just lost the crowd right there, man. I got people whispering. <laughs> I got teenagers woke up back there, man. That's crazy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But guys, one day we will be removed from this flesh. And one day this body of sin, it will be destroyed. And what these three men experienced in this transfiguration, guess what? That will be what we experience in heaven as we view him in all of his glory. I can't imagine. No wonder we will just fall to our knees. And we'll just sing, holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, we cannot see him because of our flesh. They couldn't see him because of his flesh, but we will not see him because of our flesh. And Secondly, kind of what I just said, this transfiguration reminds us that we will experience his full glory, but it will only be in forever, in the future, in heaven. And thirdly, Moses and Elijah disappear. And this symbolizes and tells us that Jesus was the complete fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. A new age, a new day has dawned. This is what Jesus is what is claiming in this moment. Listen to the statement. Jesus is the greater fill in the blank. Jesus is the better fill in the blank. He's better than the law. He's better than the prophets. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets. And man, you say, Josh, you said you weren't going to practically apply it. Man, do we need more practical application than that? That Jesus is greater than fill in the blank? That Jesus is exalted over all? And this morning, I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. Some of you are brand new in your walk with Jesus. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for decades. I take away from this as I studied, I know I can't see Jesus as those men saw him. I know that I can't. It's not theologically possible. But I want to grow close. I just want every now and then for God to do something in my life where I say, I know that was you. I know. I know that was you. Now, it wasn't the bright light, but I know that was you. I just want God to show himself to me in that way. He, I believe he still does that. We just spent four weeks in our connect group talking about whisper and the, discerning the voice of God and how, yes, the primary way in which God speaks is through his word, but God does speak to us if we're sensitive and we're looking and seeking. I just want to be close and I want to draw closer and draw closer. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. I want to ask more questions. What is about this, this resurrection thing, Jesus? What is, what is it? I want, to, I, want, I want to seek more. And I want God to reveal himself to me. I know that when we get to heaven one day, that we'll see him in his glory. But for today... He's greater than any law. He's greater than any prophet. He's greater than any problem. He's greater than any need that you have. He's greater than your anxiety. He's greater than your physical needs. He's greater than your relationship problems. He is greater than any struggle and sin that you have in your life. He is greater. He's greater. You say, Josh, what does that, what does that look like, though? Jesus is greater than my sin. What it looks like to me is every time that I'm tempted with sin, this is what I ask myself. Jesus or the sin? Jesus or my anger? 
Jesus or that quick word without thinking? Jesus or perversion? Jesus or hate? Jesus or a smart mouth? You get it? And how does Jesus help me overcome sin? Because I feel like I'm either choosing Jesus or I'm choosing my sin. And today may we be 100% influenced by the glory of Jesus. If you've never been introduced to Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship to Jesus, with Jesus, let me tell you something. That man who was transfigured, who was metamorphosized on the mountain, that man died for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. Would you give him your heart? Would you give him your life? Would you open your heart's door? Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus and experience all he is? Can we pray together this morning? Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.